You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Half hour. Hello, welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you all the casual conversations on the shows, concerts, movies, and events, and films that we see and observe throughout our careers. Today's episode will feature spoilers, so please make sure you're checking out the content that we're discussing today before moving forward. You have been warned. And or you could also just keep listening. You know, we always say that, but I'm just yes. letting you all know there are spoilers on all these episodes because we've already seen the content we're discussing. So mm-hmm. just you know. Today we're talking about an amazing production <laughs> titled And Juliet. And Juliet is currently playing at the Stephen Sondheim Theater in New York City in Midtown Manhattan. And Juliet. And Juliet. And Juliet has music and lyrics by Max Martin and Friends. That's mm-hmm. how it's built. With a book by David West Reed. And this has uh, choreography by Jennifer Weber and direction by Luke Shepard. This comes from London, mm-hmm. comes over to New York. Just opened. We are seeing one of the first performances after opening. Uh, smash hit. Reviews across the board. Stellar. Mm-hmm. Had no idea what to expect going into this. New was pop music. New was an original story. What are your overall thoughts, Mr. Jeff? This is like <laughs> two worlds entertainment bringing Broadway and pop together. Broadway is this like your dream? Broadway I mean, and pop Did you together. feel like you were dreaming for two and a half hours? <laughs> you know, I <clears throat> I really wanted to go into this show with no expectations yeah. at all. Because I could either be let down really hard yeah. or I could just like have a really great time. And I said, take that off. No expectations. Just sit down and enjoy the show. And... I was blown away. Blown tell, away. But why, Tell me why. You know, I really have to applaud just the really great creativity of taking this music by Max Martin, who <clears throat> is one of the greatest pop producers and songwriters yeah, of ever. our time. Yeah. Um, that's a statement and a fact. I, I don't think anyone really touches the surface of what he's put out in terms of number one smash singles, but really someone who could just take that music and say, wow, okay, I'm going to take this song here and I'm going to take this song here and I'm going to take this song here and I'm going to put this into a story and I'm going to create a book around this. And I watched this and I said, wow, they really just did that. They really just said, okay, we're going to write this story. And I, and it was enjoyable, the story. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about music for a second. Um, okay. Because there's someone I need to name. Bill Sherman is billed here as the music supervisor, orchestrator, and arranger. Okay. That man's job is extremely difficult. To say, here's 20 songs, make it sound good on a Broadway stage eight times a week. There's harmonies that are added in, tempos are changed. The song's not really changed, but some songs are really stripped down. Some yeah. are blown up. Some are simplified. Some are expanded. And that's a tough job for someone like Bill Sherman to have to sit there. And there's a live orchestra. They came out during the bows. Yeah. But I just have to do a shout out to that person because what a job. Huge shout out. Yeah. Also, you're taking David West Reed's book and you're taking characters and you're putting the right song. See, to me, what Mama Mia does is it takes music that's well known as is. Yeah. If you listen to the original ABBA song and then the Mamma Mia cast recording, there's almost no difference other than the person who's singing mm-hmm. it, literally. 
This is different. Yeah. This is taking the right song and I'm listening to the lyrics and I don't know about you. Maybe I just never really listened to these lyrics growing up as a kid and I would, <laughs> but wow, do they work when you're putting them to plot? But were you really listening to them as a kid? Well, you're listening to the beat and they're right. In a car. You but there's in a car. moments like my loneliness is killing me. How does that not sound so if you want it the most, there's no easy way out? I mean, that's, well, that's really what prolific lyric that's what that makes about. sense in a story. So you know? I think for you and I, like we come from at this show very differently than probably 99% of that audience because we are so in music. You and I can sit down, we can analyze a song, we can say, okay, that lyric is amazing, that orchestration is amazing, and same thing for the stage. Like the direction choices, great. This, great. So when we sit down with a show like this that can easily be bad and tacky... It was not. There were such, I mean this in the most respect, there was such potential for something like this to crash and burn. Mm -hmm. When you hear, oh, they're going to expand this. What if Juliet didn't die? And and we're going to put pop music to it. And when you hear that pitch, but when you hear it, you're like, cool idea. And you also think, ooh, Broadway's done things like this before. This has the potential to be, and then you go in and you're like, polished, polished. Every single thing is polished. The, how do you take costumes and set them in period and set them in modern? Yeah. What an amazing costume design. I was going to say but, this because... But, but, but let me say one more thing. <laughs> How, what potential for those costumes to have been sloppy and messy yeah. and they were totally not? I was like, I want to wear some of that. Yeah. <laughs> I love the shoes. The shoes. The shoes stood out to the me. Shoes. Everyone's shoes. Yes. Loved it. The sh- it was like the shoe was the focus and then they said, let's create an outfit from it. And, and it's like the base. But think about it. The base of a show, the base of a song, and now the base of even a costume. The base is the shoe. The base of a story. You're putting literally yes. William Shakespeare on stage. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of like a, a quick one, two, three of the yeah. story and just like say why it worked. But like I had no idea that we were going to have a narration from Will Shakespeare and, and wife Anne Hathaway, which the puns on Anne Hathaway oh, were hysterical well, throughout the whole And that's show. Stark Sands and Betsy Wolf, who are both doing a wonderful job. Yes. To me, I think Betsy Wolf outshines a little bit most of the people on that stage. But I think she was supposed to outshine <clears throat> Will yeah. in that. Um, but just to start that off of saying, okay, we're narrating and we're retelling the story, but through them. So it's not like it's... It's not like what we thought it was going to be of just like a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. But no, they're actually the creators and rewriting it there. And we're watching this happen, which I thought was so smart and funny. Well, it's also smart and funny, but then it gets really poignant at the end because you realize, wait, it could have been so different if Will Shakespeare and his wife were just narrating, period. But then you see, oh, they're having their own struggles, male versus female. They have kids. They're trying to figure out their marriage and their life. Yeah. And at the end, you realize it's almost about them a lot. And I thought that was a really nice turn down a different path. It didn't take us too far away from Romeo and Juliet and all the other characters in the play within the play. But it made us realize, oh, what was William Shakespeare like as a person with his wife? And here's the wife speaking out, Anne Hathaway speaking about what she was seeing from her perspective. That was really smart writing, I I think. I loved that they designed the show for us to kind of sit there and watch and say, oh, okay, we're watching the show within the show. And we're watching Will and Anne just kind of have this conversation and dialogue. But then their involvement in the actual show as the telling is going on. I love that you had to set yourself in there that's saying, oh, okay, we're watching their version of this show and we're just supposed to be watching them. 
Yeah. Which was, like, really cool. Like, the Romeo and Juliet land was fake. Mm. And you had to set yourself in there and say, okay, that's... It's an imaginary world right now that they're creating and writing right now. And when you're writing, you have that visual. It was so smart and beautiful. And and I love when you hybrid real actual pieces of scenery with projections, with a turntable stage, with a lift. It's like take the best of everything you can do with the scenic design and put it into this piece. Yes. <laughs> right? and, and let's talk about the scenic design because at first I was starting to hate it. And then I slowly fell in love with it because I loved the idea that they're writing the show yeah. and the cast members have to quickly get the pieces. There. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And at first I was like, oh, why are we doing that? And yeah. then I was like, oh, bingo. It makes, sense. it makes complete sense that it has to be done this way because yeah. it's like, no, the players mm. are going and they're setting up the pieces. At one point, there's a gigantic house on the stage and the player's like, wait. <laughs> I'm going to take the piece off. Yeah, right. Because the thing's here. The bed's rolling on and off. It's, right. It's so funny. And and I do feel like there's moments of like when you're at K-pop or when you're at six, the point is like you're at a concert. Cool. Yeah. This was like I was at a concert, but I was not. I didn't feel – and that's no discern- – I, I feel like there was a – I'm at a show. Um, there's a plot. There's character development. There's comedy. There's dancing. There's singing. This is a show for the modern day. And And – Everyone knows Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And I thought, to me, I don't know. Maybe you didn't see it coming. Maybe you did. I didn't see the Romeo coming back into the plot. I didn't I see didn't that know. coming from a mile away. I was completely I was like, thrown oh, off. Oh, he's back. Great plot twist. Intermission. You yes. know, and I thought that was so great. It's so, when <clears throat> all of a sudden he starts coming out of the ceiling and you're like, oh, they're really going to do that. Yeah. Now. And then it's just like. Because Will and Anne kept going back and forth of how they wanted the story yeah, to continue. Yeah. And it was funny watching because you're like, oh, okay, this story is getting messy because of them. Yes. Like their relationship. <coughs> right. And I'm like, oh, the writing of this was so good. The writing was really good and the direction of it. The whole direction and the choreography. It's a seamless piece of theater that is ebbing and flowing throughout emotion, mm-hmm. creativity, there is no part where I have to look at my watch, where I'm kind of bored, I'm no. staring at the wall. No, I'm immersed. And we were upstairs, and I was when still I got so immersed. To, when we got to the end of Act 1, and it was an hour and 15 minutes, and I said, that was an hour and 15 yeah, minutes. flew by. Flew, flew by. by. But also, there was not a boring moment. When you're projecting scenery on the walls of the house, when you're th- putting put confetti into the mezzanine, which are not that difficult. No. And yet, how many podcasts have we sat here and said, they don't play to the upstairs. They don't play to the people no, in the back. They don't play to the people inside. I felt like I was in the front row. Yeah. And I wasn't. No, no, no. Another thing I'm going to say, it's my favorite theater. It is an amazing theater. It's my favorite it theater because you can sit anywhere in that theater yeah, and, and, and you fine. are fine. You are you're so fine. fine in that theater. It was beautiful. It was Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. And you can really sit there and see, and it's in a good location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's I, talk about something here. Because a star is born. A star is born. <laughs> on a that star. stage. A star is born on that stage. And it is? Lorna Courtney. Lorna Courtney is a star. Oh, Lorna Courtney is my. a star. First of all, give the girl to Tony because... Yeah. She's belting it. And belting she's also it acting and it. And acting. And it's not just one or the other. I'm so sick and tired of seeing shows where I'm like, the acting was good, the singing wasn't, or the singing was good, or the dancing was... This is a triple threat. Triple threat. And she is She's a star. dancing the role, not out of breath. Effortless. Belting some of the greatest moments on that stage. Yeah. And just even at the end to have a shining moment like she did. I had to take a picture. I know it's bad. But I took a picture and 
she reposted it. So I'm not. Oh, I'm she not, reposted. Okay, I'm not so that offended, but <laughs> yeah. I was like, what a moment. Yeah. And like, you're talking about, there's confetti going everywhere. She's rising from the dance floor. This is pop and theater excellence happening in a 11 o'clock number. Yeah. Yeah. And taking on that stage and all done to Katy Perry's roar. Huh. She's a University of Michigan BFA musical theater graduate. Shout out, go blue. I have to say my <laughs> alma mater there. Um, and she's a star. And I will also say, Betsy Wolf is really amazing in that too. Yeah. I mean, everybody is. They all I really were, don't think anybody's weak here. But, but No, they but, all were amazing and they all had many great moments. And, but I'm just going to say that she really, she stole the show. Yeah. Lorna. Yeah, Lorna. Yeah. She stole the show, as she should. And everyone else was great. Mm-hmm. You know, Betsy was great. But Stark I'm, was great. And I'm also going to say, Paulos Zott, who I have not seen since his, I believe he won the Tony for it, in South Pacific, singing that song, and, and oh, and then I see this opera, really opera voice, that smart, put an operatic baritone into this show, singing some of those pop songs, that is smart. And, Don't just make it, everyone belt their face off, belt their face no, off, belt their face off. And look make at that. It something but the arrangement different. of that song and like to do it in opera and then like I had chills yeah, he's when he was singing. He's I was a, like, well, his voice is stunning. He, he, he was so good in South Pacific yeah. I, I, with Kelly O'Hara. I, I mean, but yes, everybody. And what a dad role that I did not hate. Yeah. <laughs> How many times have she shows and we're like, oh, actually, you're, the only other dad role I guess you could hate is, is Juliet's parents, who you're supposed to kind of hate, and they're only in it a little bit here and there, right? The parents, no, but, but I'm talking about like when a dad, dad when a dad gets a boring song or a dad, yeah, just, like what a dad role that I did not. Yeah, hate. and I know he's like kind of not getting along with his son a lot throughout the show, but like he also has this whole moment with the nurse, and the nurse was amazing, and she was great. Everyone. But then he has the moment with his son, and it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's. One more thing to uh, we kind of praised the set already. We praised the lighting. We praised everything. I don't think there's anything I don't. I, I want to say one other thing about of, about design. This is has choreography by Jennifer Weber. Yes. Jennifer Weber is currently choreographing two shows at the same time. I bo- I think they're both her Broadway debuts. So good for you for coming to Broadway with two shows. With some people have make the Broadway debut with one. <laughs> She's yes. got two at the same time. It is very difficult for me to watch K-pop and to watch this. And to see the same choreographer and to say, wow, you clearly took a rope and ran with it really well with Anne Juliet. Because the only thing I really enjoyed about K-pop, other than some of the lighting design, which was great, is the choreo in K-pop. Well, and she killed it in both. She shows. kills it in both, but it makes much more sense in this. How do you have a carriage moving down a street, spinning with people dancing in the opposite direction? That is really hard to do. And she, and not just let's put people on stage dancing like they're at a K-pop concert. I'm not saying that it was worse. I'm just saying she had much more, like I say, rope to run with. She had much more material to work with in this. Right. Well, and I think K-pop she, is the show that she was dealt. And then, and Juliet, she was able to have creative decisions on creating. You could tell she must have enjoyed the and Juliet yeah, experience. For, I would think that because, those moves, I mean, and someone who has studied musical theater dance and married it with pop dance because and plot development it's not just wait let's just do a dance break no they're moving scenery and characters are coming down while the music that is so hard and i really commend her and the director on working right which had some amazing moments even with the the center turntable and the disc that would rise at times to just 
give you that moment of like, oh, wow. At it, times it even looked like it was elevated with the smoke effects. and It's up there with Andy Blankenbuehler's Hamilton choreo. It really is. Yeah. Some really – and I guess what? The turntable has been around since late Miz. And how many shows don't do that anymore? And now it's almost like the turntable is returning to Broadway, spinning people. And if you notice, it's two. One, the exterior of the circle is going one way, while at the same time, the middle circle could be going the other way and elevated. Which is it's a very lot smart. of work for that ensemble. And the tech. Could you imagine that what that stage manager's got to be doing back yeah. there, calling all those cues? Because what if it, it's miss? Anyone could bump into something. And you can or... get hurt. You have to really tech Correct. through that. Yeah. But there's something that I need to say here in terms of choreo, because this had the moment for it to be a lot and too much, which mm. we see another choreographer do the on stage a lot in many Broadway shows. I won't name names, but okay. if you're a theater person, you know who I'm talking okay. about. And it's easy to get lost in that and just be in your face, in your face all the time. And this was not that. Right. And it had the moment to be that, and it was not that. Right. This had every right moment yeah. where you take a song and you say, no, that actually deserves the dance break, not the whole song. Correct. And we saw that happen. We saw that come to life. And her dancing was telling the story. And we're also talking about there's different ages of being represented here, different genders, different races, different orientations, different uh, – there's trans representation. There's there's so much representation. So much. Uh, and it's not – and it's just appropriate. It it's makes appropriate. sense. And it, it totally works. Yeah. Nothing is – is too much or too little or any, it's all just working. Yeah. I, I'm just really impressed with stories like this. Right. It's going to run a long time. It has to, it just has, it has to. to. And it needs the support, I think. And I don't think people should discredit it because it's a jukebox musical, because I think that this is, I didn't feel like it was a jukebox musical. No. It, I mean, not. it's your favorite songs that everyone loves and has heard because it's Max Martin music. So we'll get into him in a second, but we have a lot of musicals to see this season. Yeah. We're only touching the surface. But right now, this show to me is the perfect Broadway musical this season. Yep. And many people should run to see this, not walk, because it's going to get expensive and it's going to get a lot of buzz. And a lot of people are going to see it once it starts picking up momentum. For so sure. So now the time is to go see it. But I do want to kind of switch the lane, too, because we're, we're making this a double feature. Yes. We're talking about pop music today, too. Um, and Mr. Max Martin. Yeah, tell us a little bit about him. Okay. They even write this in the playbill, which I, I found to be very interesting, and we can kind of teeter back and forth between the show and now Max here. But they say Max Martin is the genius songwriter-producer behind more number one hits than any other artist this century. That's this a century. huge statement. Yeah, that is a huge statement. He is basically the Shakespeare of pop music. Well, there we go. And when I read that, I said... Oh, it makes the it most makes sense. most sense why they would write a Shakespeare or they would retell a Shakespeare show to Max Martin music because Shakespeare was the writer of all time in the you know and now we have Max Martin who is the number one pop producer songwriter out there. If you want to be a famous pop star from the late 1990s to the 2010s, you did a song with Max Martin. Mm -hmm. And the names that he's worked with tell are telling. Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Pink, Britney Spears, mm -hmm. Kelly Clarkson, Ariana Grande, 
Jesse J. I mean, Celine Dion. Yeah. Oh, wait. We have to talk about that for a second. On. The when, list goes on and on. That's the way it is. This man has worked with. That's the way it is. Celine Dion's song comes in. It's my favorite Celine Dion song. And Didn't know he's gonna. He and I'm literally yelped. crying. He I'm yelped like, no. in the thing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, ah. Oh. And I'm like tearing up because I love that song and I love the where, where that song was placed. It made complete sense lyrically. But yes, I didn't mean to interrupt your Max Martin flow. But yes, it does make sense to have. And, and guess what? If someone ever wanted to do this, they'd have to get the legal rights to all this music. But then when you have someone like Max Martin producing and saying, yeah, here's all the rights to my own music. Go run with it. It, it works. You know? Well, I think this is interesting because a lot of people really don't sit down and ever really see who the songwriter of the song is or who has produced the song and then how that really correlates to what's controlling the industry right now. And this man has controlled the pop industry for so long because the production that he brings to a pop song just works. Yeah, It's that Swedish pop effect that everyone just wants. When you wanted to have a number one hit, or if you wanted to become a famous pop star, you worked with Max Martin. And you just see all of these artists who have had major success. And what does it relate back to? Mm -hmm. Max Martin. Mm -hmm. You know, his, it's just, he has created a huge legacy in the pop industry and he hasn't done it alone. He's done it with many people. And I have to touch on a, a, a interesting, you know, kind of topic here because it's just something we have to do. But Max Martin has worked with Dr. Luke a lot and a lot of the artists who have had success with him. Um, it's because of both Max Martin and Dr. Luke. And something that's a little interesting to me is seeing his name in this playbill and knowing a lot of the stuff that Dr. Luke has done and why maybe that has to happen. I know the industry is very dirty and the industry has a lot of things that um, you just have to do. So he's part of the Max Martin and Friends camp because he's written these songs. So in the, and, and I'm not too familiar with how the Broadway you know, fan base really knows too much about what has happened with Kesha and Dr. Mm -hmm. Luke, but there's even a Kesha song in this show mm. that she has written with Dr. Luke, mm. which the allegations have come out. So, so the only thing I think that would sit kind of wrong for me on this show is his involvement. Well, he's a top build producer, which means if this wins a Tony award, he is now a Tony award winning Broadway producer. Yeah. Another feather in his cap. And I don't know how people feel about that. You right. Know? And I think, for now, we're not hearing too much about it, but as things start coming out, I think we're going to start hearing more of the fan base say, is N. Juliet canceled because of Dr. Luke's mm. involvement? Well, it's interesting because they don't put Dr. Luke, if you're breezing through the top build producers, it puts his name yeah. with his first and last name, yeah. which I wonder if that's done on purpose for, or for legal purposes or not, because it doesn't say Dr. Luke. If someone saw Dr. Luke, they'd be like, oh, but they're saying Luke, blah, blah, blah. They might skim through and miss it. I don't know if that's purposely done or yeah. not, but yeah. And I was trying to do a little more research on the whole topic to see if Max Martin has spoken out about Dr. Luke at all. And I was having a really hard time finding anything. And that's kind of my only thing that's like, this man has created such a legacy. You would need to be the person to kind of dethrone him because he's still working in the industry. Now he's working with artists like Kim Petras. He's working with artists like Doja Cat who really don't want to be working with him anymore, but it, he's also pumping out hits again and people are not happy about yeah. it. And I'm not to take away from this whole amazing show, but his name is associated yeah. with it, so I have to bring it up. And it's just unfortunate because yeah. this show doesn't deserve 
bad energy no. from a man like no. that. It really doesn't because there's so much good energy in the show. But it was just interesting to see one of the Kesha songs in here mm-hmm. and his name being top billed in yeah. here as a producer. And I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. That's the only thing that really made me go, ugh, mm. why? Like, it, this show doesn't need someone like him. Uh, there's so many other Max Martin stuff, but there's so many songs that are in this show that Dr. Luke has written. And there are many artists who have spoken out about this, about Dr. Luke in general. Kelly Clarkson has spoken out. Lady Gaga has spoken out. Pink has spoken out because they've all worked with the team and they have said, no, he's not a good person. Mm. So they take Hush aside in this Mm. and it's a big thing. And what I really found interesting is Kelly Clarkson who sings Since You've Been Gone, which was a Max Martin song. She sang it for this album. She did. With Lorna, yep. which is great. And the song is phenomenal. Yep. But I would really kind of love to know what her take is on this, especially seeing, like, she's spoken out about Dr. Luke, and he's top build in here. She didn't show up to the premiere, but she has done stuff with the end Juliet camp. So I'm just curious to see... You know, she's spoken out about this, but also now she's kind of well, involved in the show. It's almost like she's getting involved where th- she thinks she can smartly and where yeah. maybe her agents are saying, do a song, be present on social media, maybe not physically. There's a, And that's unfortunate that you have to toe a line like that. Simon Cowell was at the premiere. What well, does he think watching Simon Cowell's always been part of this whole camp. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. They've pumped out the Backstreet Boys and the NSYNCs and all of that. He's always been involved. The, the American Idol life, Simon Cowell's creation, these pop stars, Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, Jordan Sparks, all came out from that camp. Yeah, so, yeah. And if you wanted to be a successful American Idol artist, you did what they told yeah, you. And, and that's kind of like the, the dirty part of the industry. But and nowadays, it's touches. a little different because you have pop, pop artists who are saying, I'm doing whatever I want now. You know, Taylor Swift and, and you know. Who has also worked with yeah, Max Martin yeah. with songs like Blank Space yeah. and We Are Never Getting Back Together. And what happened when Taylor Swift did those songs? Pop stardom. I'm not, I'm not associating everything with Max Martin as taking the credit for everything, but the artist had major success when they did a song with Max mm-hmm, Martin. Mm-hmm. So clearly he has some sort of control in the industry. Right. And tying this back to the show, think about it. Like these artists want control of their lives and careers. And what does Juliet want in the musical? Control. Yeah. So it's a little bit of an interesting no, pulling yeah. back and forth when you really relate things. Not that it's an Easter egg or not, but I relate it that way, saying, like, look at these people that just want control of their lives. Mm. But also look at all of these artists who have had major success that just want control. Because Kelly Clarkson has even been said, like, I was forced into doing some of that. Yeah. I didn't want to yeah. do that. Even though she had success, she didn't want to do it. Yeah, And that comes from a Clive Davis messy world and... We won't get too much into that right yeah, now. Yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. I do want to say, though, the music is pop gold. Yeah. And. But the way, you, and once again, you it can comes remember, from- though, so many songs. And from that, besides Celine Dion's, that's the way it is. What do you think stood out differently? Oh, two. First, Teenage Dream mm-hmm. worked. These older. Actors and characters saying, I feel like I'm in a teenage dream. Also, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that totally works in such a great way in and that that's moment. that's probably a song that you never really listened to the lyrics. Not like that. Or not like that, and what you know? what different meaning? 
Yeah. Yeah. But there was charm there was in charm. the whole piece. Um, oh, I love when they rose in the moon and you were at the carnival and what a oh, beautiful so Americana, was, like, that was interesting because that's not an Americana, but the, the moment of carnival love, you know? So that's a fun fact about that song. That's the original song to the show. Oh, okay. I knew there was one that was like, I don't know this song. So there's an original song. Yeah. 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 Also, riding in the carriage to Paris. That's such a Cinderella-esque moment, you know, a wedding. Oh my gosh. How many wet Broadway musicals end with a wedding. You know, they, they did an homage. Yeah. And they slowed the show down where they needed to, and they picked it up where they needed to, hang it, swinging from the chandelier, literally. Yeah. Uh, I just thought the whole thing was really, really smart. And it flew by. Flew by. I couldn't believe I was watching a two and a half hour show. Some shows I feel like a two and a half hour show is like four and a half hours. And, oh. I want to see it again already. I know. I know. <laughs> I will see it again before uh, Lorna leaves the yeah. show. So I will. Let me ask you maybe a question. I'll see it like 10 more times. <laughs> if, the show, if the show does well, and it, let me ask you this question. If the show runs well and then it runs a year and then it runs two years and it's starting to maybe, let's say, the box office is slowing down a little bit. In the style of Chicago, where a star goes in for a six week run or an eight week run, does a star, a pop star, because this is all Broadway people. There's no pop stars in this show. My question to you is, does a pop star, maybe not an A-list pop star, but maybe an American Idol-esque B-lister, C-lister, does a pop star go into this show at any point for a limited run? I have my thoughts, but what are your thoughts? I... Someone from The Voice. Someone from, you know, YouTube. Uh, someone I, f- I think that I sit on the fence with that. Because what I think this show has the capability of doing is launching stars. Put some powerhouse diva into that role and let them launch their career. But I also sit on the other side of the fence because I'm like, oh, it would really be fun to watch a pop star go into that role. But I'm talking about like Diana DeGarmo, Catherine McPhee, some of the American Idol girls. That I think they're maybe, too old. Well, it depends on the character, right? Because there's some older characters. I, but I think it would only be for the role of Juliet. Put oh. the star in the role of Juliet. Yeah. Let everyone else do their theater thing in the other roles. But if the star was going to go in, it should be for Juliet. Yeah, yeah. And let a young pop star or young theater performer go into that role and either let them launch their career or let them try something out in the pop space. They could do something like a la The Search for Elle Woods and look for pop stars and do a TV show-esque moment to find the next Juliet. There's that element. And they may not need to do this. I'm just saying maybe if Chicago keeps floating their boat on just putting in these stars left and right for all the... And there's older characters and younger characters and dancey characters and non-dancey characters. Same with this show. So I thought that was interesting to see maybe this would be a show I feel like they well, could Well, there's lend. a ton of young people out there that sure. play this sure. role. You know, sure. so... Really, really great stuff. Man. Oh. Oh my gosh, this time <laughs> is flying by here. Right. So let's wrap up with some concluding thoughts. Overall conclusion thoughts on and Juliet on Broadway. Just go see it. Yeah. Uh, that's all I can say. I mean, I can talk to the cows come home on how good this show was and how fun this show was. And it's a show that really is just going to own that stage for a while, I think. I would be sad to see this have a short run. Yeah. My my two concluding thoughts are, I would only hope that Stephen Sondheim would be proud to see something like this in his theater. Mm -hmm. Because I would only hope that he has paved the way for things like this that are smart. Which leads me to my second point. Sometimes I really don't like the more modern things on Broadway because the book is really jeopardized. And the plot and the characters. And I see splashy shows with little to no book. And I say, why did we sit here for two and a half hours to listen to that? 
But I've never seen something more hybrid like this, which is immersive of all elements of a piece, which I think Stephen Sondheim always knew how to do, mm-hmm. is move a plot with the right music and have the music and the plot working. So kudos to these people for putting his name, you, you his name is on this playbill. Yeah. He just passed away almost actually a year ago. And to see that name, I know he has nothing to do with this play, but it's in his theater. And I always think if your name is on a theater and the piece is in there, I would hope that he's proud of that. I think he's proud. To see what Broadway was, what he did to Broadway, and to see what Broadway is. And this could have, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, what potential this had to maybe be, and it just was amazing. But this is what happens when you do an out-of-town or when you launch a show in London and you can learn And you can clean and fix and And clean and fix. And then when it comes to New York, it's ready for New York. It's ready for the New York theater scene. Because who said it? Jesse Green even said, I wanted to hate it, but I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And there we go. I didn't want to hate it, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a fun time in the theater. It is a fun night out. So yes. thank you all so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed our podcast today. Please, please make sure you check us out at Half Hour Podcast on Instagram and TikTok for the latest content uh, through Two Worlds Entertainment. we got lots of plays and musicals coming up, pop episodes. Make sure you're listening and following us, telling all your friends, sharing, sharing, sharing. So thank you so much. And we'll be back for another week of awesome content chat. So until next time, signing off for now, I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.